Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm your host, and I am a change and transformation specialist, working with retailers and consumer-facing businesses to help them understand their ideal operating model and the change roadmap to bring that into reality. Plus, I help companies to get a grip on their complex changes and ultimately to deliver these shifts and realize the transformation. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is episode 213, number 213. And today we're exploring a really critical topic, that of change management. And to help us do so, I'm delighted to shortly be joined by a change management professional, Simon Costigan. Simon is the founder of the Change Partner Consultancy and supports businesses of all sizes to deliver long-term sustainable changes through effective strategy planning, governance reporting, and leadership. Simon's worked with some massive companies like Boots and Walgreens, as well as Wilco, DFS, and others as well, to help bring change into reality. And Simon has recently authored the book, Change Isn't What You Find in Your Pocket, Effective Change Methods for Delivering Market-Leading Results. This is a fantastic conversation coming up. So do make sure you head over to the show notes page at obandco.uk slash 213, where you can learn more about Simon and catch up on related episodes as well. Head over to obandco.uk slash 213. Plus, sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing as well, the free email newsletter with key changes from around the world of retail. New trials, new ideas, new insights, all there to help inspire your successful change. Sign up for free with no strings attached at obandco.uk slash 213. So without further ado, let's jump into this fantastic conversation. Well, a very warm welcome to you, Simon Costigan. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. How are you? I'm really good, Ollie. Uh, it's really great to see you again. Absolutely. It really is fantastic to see you again, Simon. We first met on a significant project of change, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. Change as a, an element of transformation. Of course, if you don't go ahead and make a change, then you don't really transform. But Simon, just to kick us off, what is change management from your perspective? Well, for me, change management is about understanding where you want to take either your personal life or, or your business. And I believe that, that change has to have a catalyst. You know, so take an example, you know, if you want, if you want to get fitter, you know, how, how do you go about instigating that change? And for me, change is moving from your current state to where you want to be. And I think if I had to put change into a into a very a quick comment i think change is the art of progress that's how I, that's how i would describe it changing from your current state to your future state to to deliver 
ultimately better performance. I like that description. I really like it. I want to just dive into that word catalyst for just a moment. Let's say you are going through that personal change of getting fitter. What what sort of catalyst are we talking about? Are we talking about that day that you walked up three flights of stairs and you were really out of breath and you thought, goodness, I've got to do something about this? Or is it more of a sort of a longer term catalyst that thinks, actually, this is a goal that I want to have? What are your thoughts? Is it a, a trigger moment or what? I think it's a trigger moment. I believe if, if you look after yourself and you're healthy, you've got a greater chance of doing what you want to do both in your business life and, and your personal life. Yep, that makes sense. And so if we take that idea of a catalyst into a, a business setting, I mean, the obvious catalyst for me is a set of performance results. Perhaps you're looking at, you know, a quarterly quarterly trading record or an annual result. Are there any other catalysts, do you think? Yeah, I think for me, there's, there's technological change, mm-hmm. there's regulatory change, there's also, you know, looking at the direction of, of the markets, you know, so depending on, on what type of business that you're in. So if you're in retail, as, as an example, you know, if you are a furniture retailer, you know, just taking a, an example off the top of my mm. head, looking at how people live now, and then looking at how people are going to live in the next two to five years, as an example. So as houses get smaller, Will people need to buy, you know, smaller furniture? Do people, are, do people's sleeping habits, as an example, change? And it's understanding what the future look like, what the future looks like in, in order to model your business around what your customer wants. Cause ultimately, you know, as businesses, I believe we should all be customer led. And ultimately the change that you want to deliver should be driven with your customer in mind. Yes, definitely. Absolutely agree with that one. You, phrased change management as sort of a a progress i suppose how does change management differ to project management which you could also argue was about progress i think project i've thought about this a lot and i I thought about it a lot when i wrote the book and i believe that change is such a broad church you know change is always around us you know there's there's the uh the quote in the book that the only the only constant is change everything changes i believe now having thought about it more deeply, that when you look at project and program management to a certain degree, they are the vehicles to deliver change. Mm. So the framework, the documents, the discipline, the meeting structure, ultimately they are there to facilitate the change that you want to make. The change for me is is the why and the what. The project and the program, I believe now very much is the how. I love it. I really love it. Now, one of the big challenges with the change or the how is, of course, around people. Why are people a challenge when it comes to change? Um, Because we are a very complex set of emotions. (laughs) You're speaking about me there, Simon. (laughs) I'm thinking perhaps I'm talking from a personal reference there, Ollie. But ultimately, it's about understanding people's individual motivation so when you undergo any change either whether it's personal change or whether it's change within a business setting every single person has a different agenda Mm. and ultimately people will want to understand three key things why is the change happening what does the future look like for me and how will i feel after the change so what will my job look like in essence And I believe that a lot of businesses don't take the time or do the thinking that's required to understand how to move people through change. And this is why 
you know, I believe a lot of change doesn't deliver the benefits that businesses set out to. So, you know, ultimately, we, we think a lot about the task, the process, the systems that we're going to put mm. in place. These are the, the hard measures, the stuff that you can touch. So a new set of technologies, an example, or a new, or no, new laptops that we're rolling out to the mm. business. What we fail then to understand is how do we help the people in the organization use that technology? So do we do, do we put enough thought and effort into our communication and engagement strategy as an example? Are we truly aligned as a leadership team around what we want this change to look like? Do we think about the frequency of communication that we want to give to the people in the organization? Do we think about the, the mechanisms that we could use to communicate, whether that's um, face-to-face, whether that's audio, whether that's video. We also don't give enough time to think about the people in the organization and what's important to them. So very often what happens is we'll do a group communication briefing and assume that, okay, right, we've communicated to everybody now. <laughs> They must understand what the business is, what the business wants yes. to do. You've then potentially got a cohort of people who walk away from that meeting who then start to talk to each other. And because there is so much uncertainty, they then start to build their own narrative. So in the absence of really clear, concise communication to that individual, they then start to build their own theories and for want of a better word, they fill the communication vacuum with what they believe to be yes. true. So I believe that when you're delivering any change, you have to start, the messages have to come top down and then they have to go bottom up. So, you know, there is a place for a, a, a broader communication to the business. But I also believe that actually, if we truly care about our people, then actually there is a definitely a place for individual conversations and it may take different people you may have to have three or four conversations with one person but five or six conversations with another person because they'll go through the emotion cycle of change at a different speed more than once they'll get to a certain point and then go back down into the valley of despair as we sometimes yes. call it and my belief is as, as a leader it's your accountability to lead every single person through that change at their pace, not yours. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's a fantastic, I suppose, observation, reflection on that challenge. And it was really interesting going back to those three questions that you, you highlighted quite early on there. One of the challenges, I think, when it comes to people is when you ask the question, what does it mean for me? That is going to be different for every individual. They're in a different place they've got a different viewpoint on change different set of experiences which are impacting on their emotions as you say Simon and that means actually you can't broad brush an organization and say you know if it's a a change going out to store colleagues this is what store colleagues will say feel do because there is no one group of (laughs) robotic store colleagues (laughs) and it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of intangible work as well in as much as you don't really know what's going on in someone's head you don't know their background their viewpoint what they're going to think about a particular thing and like you say in in absence of communication 
the rumour mill starts and that can lead to all sorts of chaos. Absolutely. And then and from a personal point of view as a leader, tiring, uh, sorry, change is tiring, you know, because you're not just thinking about how you're going to manage and lead your people through the change. You've also got to lead yourself through it as well, because ultimately you have a picture in your head around what you what you want the change to look like, what you want it to feel like, what it needs to look like. And then you have to take the people on that journey to that endpoint to where you want to get to. And, you know, and it, it can be frustrating. Changes, you know, as you know, change can be very complex. It can be very nebulous. It's not a it's not a linear process. Mm. So you don't, you know, move from one set of activity to the next set of activity. It's very, you know, you'll take two steps forward and then you'll go, you'll go back a step and then you'll ha- may have to re-engage people again, not just at a senior level, but, you know, a junior level. And it's about how do you manage then your own, you know, internal frustrations at times because you, you'll get people and you go, I just don't understand why they just don't get it. But it's taking that time to put yourself in their position mm. and dealing with, you know, and working with empathy and compassion and actually getting them to talk freely. And I believe as a leader, through change, you have to show vulnerability. So as a leader, through change, you're not going to have all the answers. It's as simple mm. as that. Because you know, in some of the organizations that I've worked in, putting in new, you know, no, new processes, there's things that I've overlooked. And it's only by talking to the people in the organization. So as an example, you know, working, um, working in Holden Barrett, where we both work, you know, putting in the, the new range review process, one thing that I've, I'd overlooked was, well, where, the, where are the data sources? What, you know, where do they need to glean the data from? To, to populate the templates that mm. we put in place. And if I hadn't taken the time to speak with the people who were ultimately going to be delivering the process, I'd have missed it completely. And, you know, and that was, you know, okay, a bit of a hands up, hands up moment to say, look, okay, let's reloop. Let's understand where the information needs to come from. And by then taking the time to go through it in a more considered manner, we ended up with a far better result than forcing the change into the business. And then you just meet resistance because people go, okay, well, this is absolutely fantastic, Simon. Great. Okay. Love the templates, but where does the, where does the information come from? So it's about taking the time to think about what you need to deliver as an individual, but also what the people in the organization need ultimately to be successful. Because until people are working at either the same level they were before the change started or an, an increased level of productivity, for me, the change truly hasn't taken hold mm. then. That's interesting. And just to take a, a, a slight pivot off that point, Simon, thinking about, I suppose, the the, the moment of change. I, I know we've, we've spoken in the past, it's not a particular one point in time where you used to do it this way and now you do it this way. There is a transition, which is, of course, how Lewin described it in his change model of unfreeze the process, make the change and then refreeze like a proverbial ice cube, so to speak. How do you view yeah. transition, Simon? Transition is something that is is massively overlooked in change. So we have a picture of what the end state needs to look like, and we have a picture of where we are now. And we we, we start on the change journey. And I think for me that the whole the transitions transitions are beginnings and mm. endings. And I think in terms of just just leaning into into the people element again, 
what we fail to recognize is when you take somebody out of an environment that they've been in, whether it's, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, when you move them into a new environment, they go through a sense of loss. Now, this is going to sound, sound strange. So let's just take a new computer system as an example. And a business puts in a fantastic new system that is going to revolutionize how, how the business works. It's going to increase, increase productivity and it's going to ultimately deliver better results. The person going through that change will mourn the previous system. No matter how bad it was, they will still feel a sense of loss for that, mm. for that system because it's comfortable. It's safe. It's somewhere they've always been. And, and for better, for worse, they will understand how to make that poor system work for them. You put them into the new environment. If that transition isn't thought through, considered, and done through the medium of constant feedback, both from leader to colleague and colleague to leader, when you reach the new system and when you press go for that system to work, you've potentially then got a period of time for that person to understand how to use that system. It's, it's quite difficult to articulate at times because it's, it, it just doesn't make sense because you're thinking, right, okay, we've got this fantastic system over here. This was rubbish. Yet we still can't drive the productivity because people haven't mm. fully bought into it. So you've almost, you know, in my head, in terms of change, if you're delivering a new system implementation, you pilot it first. So you go, okay, right, let's pilot it with half a dozen individuals and let's prove to the rest of the colleagues in the business that it works. So then you've got peer-to-peer -peer mm. feedback and peer-to-peer -peer confirmation that what is in place works. What we also don't do as organizations, I believe, is celebrate success quickly. So if you're on a change journey, which can take, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, depending on the size and complexity. As you touched on earlier in the conversation, there'll be people in the organization who've experienced change that hasn't worked. And ultimately, it's either not delivered the benefits, you've gone back to old ways of working, or it's, it's stagnated and you just, and you just get a huge sense of, huge sense yeah. of frustration. You have to prove to those people that actually, the bit, it's starting to deliver the benefits. Now, it might only be in small increments, but actually it then starts to give the people in the, uh, in the business a sense of optimism that actually this change is different to anything that I've experienced before. So, you know, how do you, how, how could you do that as a, as a business? Well, then it goes back to communication strategy again. So it could be, you know, a, a town hall briefing as an example in a, in a big business, or it could be, you know, like the medium of video is so powerful now, isn't it? Where, you know, a, a CEO as an example could go, okay, just a little check in on how we're doing. These are the successes that we've delivered. We know we're on a long journey, but actually we're really starting to now to drive out yep. some benefit. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I often think about change and whether you've got people's support is similar to net promoter score, NPS, right? You've got your promoters who are champions of change yeah. they understand it maybe they have been involved in an early trial or maybe they were engaged as part of the project and they had the chance to put in their thoughts to to find the ultimate solution then you've got at the other end of the scale you've got your detractors or as i've called them naysayers in the past <laughs> that some of them 
are always going to be against the change. But some of them can be turned as well. Perhaps they've had bad experience of change. Perhaps they just haven't quite seen it. Perhaps they're particularly wedded to the current process or systems, whatever that change is. And then in the middle, you've got actually the bulk of the people who are on the fence and they could go either way. And your job as a a change manager, so to speak, is to win those people into the promoter's school rather than let the detractors swallow them up as well. And of course, converting as many detractors out of that, that group as possible. And it absolutely can be done. I certainly remember my first major change project that I led was implementing a new system. And in a previous project, that same system had tried to be executed before and it had failed quite miserably. So I had a large group of detractors or naysayers to to overcome. And it absolutely can be done with the right communication strategy, with the right engagement, with the right support as well. So it's absolutely not an insurmountable task, but it does take a lot of work. And it's hard work as well, right? It's, it's really hard work because, you know, people people have lives outside work and it's impossible <laughs> what? for people. To, I know, hard to believe, right? <laughs> but people bring their personal lives into work. You know, the, the conception that you can leave your personal life at the door when you step into work just, just doesn't happen. So through, through a period of change, people will go through emotions that are driven by what's happening out of work, not just in work. So, you know, as an example, when I've been taking teams through change or leading any team for that matter, all my conversations have been with the person in mind. So as an example, it's very easy to flick straight into task. So if you've got somebody who's working for you, okay, what have you done this week? Who have you met with, et cetera, et cetera. The way that I start the conversation is, Tell me how you're feeling. How are you feeling this week? What have your successes been? What challenges have you had this week? What can I support you with? The conversation's the same, but it comes from a very different place. Because ultimately what I've found is that if you ask those questions, the work drops out anyway, because they're in a mm. work environment, but it's more personable, personable to them. So you're understanding and you're investing in me as the person. So you're not just interested in, how many meetings I've had, how many sets of notes I've sent out or whatever it may be, you're actually more interested in me as a human and there's a much deeper emotional connection because we all talk about the emotional bank account. And for me, that's so important. The more you invest in your people and the more you are willing to go above and beyond and let them do on occasion what they need to do, not to the detriment of work, but how can you balance work and help the individual do what they need to do? They will give you so much more back. You know, as an example, I delivered a, a large um, merchandising transformation for, for Boots UK. And one of the guys that worked for me, he was from, he was from Wigan. He'd had a family bereavement and he'd said to me, you know, can I go and work in the Northwest? And I said, look, absolutely no problem. You know, you've got a laptop. You've got a phone to so go and work in Wigan for as long as you need to. You know, you can still do the job. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. You know, in this, in this current, you know, the working environment we're now working, we don't all need to be in an office, you know, yeah. every day of the week. And EK came to me at the end of the program and he went, so what you did for me there was, was just amazing. But then he, you know, he'd start the reporting at half past five in the morning. Now he, he went above and beyond. I didn't ask him to start the reporting at half past five or I didn't ask him to work the extra hours that he worked. 
But because I was willing to be flexible and understood his personal need and put him before the needs of the business, I got so much more back. Yeah, you got that emotional loyalty, which will last through thick and thin as well, right? Absolutely. It's, it's that personal connection because ultimately most people come to work not just for the fiscal reward. You know, as, as humans, we are, we're social creatures. We, we need interaction with, with, you know, other human beings. And ultimately, if you can put yourself in that person's position and go, right, okay, if I'm in that employee's situation, how would I want to be treated? And then just give people the freedom to deliver what they need to deliver. So, you know, I've put in the book, you know, I, I believe that people should be judged on output, not on the hours that they work. For me, it doesn't matter where people work. You know, you can work at home, you can work in the office, but provided you're delivering to the required standard and, you know, you're delivering your objectives, you're delivering your KPIs, you're, you know, you're moving the project to, to the right milestones at, at the, the right frequency, who am I to dictate how you do your job? Absolutely. Absolutely. And ultimately, if, if you're getting the output and the outcome that you are wanting, then that's fantastic, right? Doesn't matter, does it? Now, Simon, I do have to say a big congratulations on your book, which is published and launched now. Change isn't what you find in your pocket. Effective change methods for delivering market-leading results. It's a fantastic read, Simon. Many congratulations, firstly. Thank you. The book is divided into four broad sections around delivering change, around strategy, around leadership, and around the cornerstones of, of making change as well. And one of the things I really enjoyed when reading it, Simon, was it's absolutely jam-packed full of tips and tactics that you can very quickly deploy into your own life, your own working conditions. And I think that's that's a fantastic way. It's got loads of your experience in as well to help illustrate that along the way. What are one or two of your favourite pieces from the book, your favourite tips, Simon? I think one of my favourites is giving yourself the permission to think. Oh, I think that's. Snap. I think that's. <laughs> I just think that I think that's. I think that's huge. You know, we live in such a a busy world now that really giving ourselves the time to think is so important. And I've got to the point now where I diarise thinking time because we think about well, we don't think enough. That, that's the whole point. Yeah. So we go straight into doing. We go straight into, okay, let's, let's deliver this new system without actually thinking, okay, what, what, what do we want it to look like? What do we want it to feel like? How do we want our people to interact with it when we get there? You know, you can also drive out a huge amount of understanding in terms of what the risks we could face, what, you know, what if, what are the what ifs even? So, you know, as an example, we get to go live day and that ultimately we press the button and the system doesn't work. What if? You know, so for me, thinking is, is, is huge. And in terms of change, my counsel would be go slow in the beginning in order to go faster at the end, because change is just so incredibly complex. And I think the other thing for me is give yourself the permission to get it wrong. Mm. So every single change initiative that I've worked in has not been faultless. It's just, for me, it's, it's impossible because there are just so many variables in change. So give yourself the permission to get it wrong. If you need to put your foot on the ball, put your foot on the ball and pause. Ultimately, think. Think about 
you know what what you really want to deliver for you and your people yeah absolutely it's such a powerful technique and you, you describe in the book around all of the distractions that are around us that even if we do sit down to think you know are we truly genuinely thinking or are we actually oh what's that email coming in you know check the social media oh we just need to do that as well and actually i think that's a huge opportunity i'm so glad you brought that out as one of your takeaways because that was absolutely my takeaway as a key tip that you can take and put into practice put some time in your diary you know do it today if you're listening open your diary right now put in even just half an hour right half an hour is yeah. better than nothing yeah just to think you know as 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 simon's been saying you know what are you doing what if this happens what if that happens what else could you do will pay back massively in the future as you say slower earlier on to go faster later on simon this has been a fantastic conversation and i know there's so many more topics that we could dive into but if people would like to find out more about you where can they go to how can they get in touch so my website is uh, www.thechangepartner.co.uk. If you want to buy the book, there's also a buy now button from the website. I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to email me, email simon at thechangepartner.co.uk. Fantastic. And yes, pick up a copy of Change Isn't What You Find in Your Pocket, which I love the name of as well, by the way, Simon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My wife didn't like it. Oh. Uh, I thought I'd stick with it anyway. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Simon Costigan, for joining me here on the Retail Transformation Show and for sharing your experience and your expertise. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. My absolute pleasure, Alan. Thank you. What a fantastic conversation with Simon Costigan there. Loads of golden nuggets, loads of great insights as well. I do hope you enjoyed it as well. Remember to head over to the show notes page at obandco.uk slash 213 and you'll find info about Simon and the links that he mentioned there towards the end, as well as have the chance to pick up a copy of his book to dive so much deeper. So head over to obandco.uk slash 213 And also, you'll find four recommended episodes to listen to if you enjoyed this particular conversation. Those four episodes very quickly are, firstly, episode 103, called Creating Courageous Change Champions. And that's exploring how you can build capability to take on effective change management and change delivery within your organization. So episode 103, You might also enjoy episode 130, number 130, What Makes a Transformation Superstar, where I go into the details of what I call a five-star transformation manager. And then communication was, of course, a key topic in today's discussion with Simon Costigan. So you might also enjoy episode 209 with Lucy Eckley called Powerful Change Communication, a fantastic episode there. And then finally, following on from that theme in episode 132, 132, I explored how you can overcome the confusion of transformation. So four great episodes to listen to next. If you can't remember those, then the single one place that you must head over to right now 
are the show notes for today's episode at obandco.uk slash 213. Find the links to those episodes, find out more about Simon Costigan, and of course, sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing to keep your finger firmly on the pulse of the ever-evolving world of retail. Thanks so much for listening today. I appreciate you, as always, and I look forward to joining you in another episode of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye for now.